Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Great to be here. It's great to be here in the middle of, we're not in the middle of Iowa, but we're in the middle of winter. You are an expert on Thomas Buick, so maybe you could start by telling us who he was. Thomas Buick was born in 1753. Something I can relate to because I was born in 1953. And he was born in Northumberland. And I was born in Northumberland. Northumberland is a county in the northeast of England. And it's, it's very important. I think it's part of my heritage. Now I look back my later years to how I come to be doing what, I, what I'm doing. Thomas Buick was a young lad growing up late 18th century there, outside of Newcastle, about 16 miles from Newcastle, which was a big industrial centre then. Coal mining was, was beginning to be popular. In fact, his father had a, a little colliery there too. And he had a, an ability for drawing, which led him to an apprenticeship with an engraver in Newcastle, Bealby and Son, and he learned about engraving. And there's, of course, engraving on metal, and silvers, copper, and all these things, and he had a, a knack also for engraving on wood, but the shop didn't like to, to do the engraving on wood, so Thomas would get the jobs, the wood engraving jobs. Why would there be a wood engraving job versus a, a copper engraving job? Because at that time, late 18th century, wood engraving was becoming popular as a means of book illustration, but it was still fairly crude, and the first engravings which Buick did were very rudimentary. They were the mathematical drawings. It was Charles Hutton's mensuration that he was illustrating. So these are mathematical diagrams. They're quite exquisite. But in, in, his, in his spare time, he became interested in natural history, which led him to publish the first of two volumes, very important volumes in natural history, a history of quadrupeds, which he wrote and illustrated, engravings of animals which at the first time actually looked like real animals. They were incredibly detailed. Is this, mm. a, is this, this is an early edition? This of is the, the early edition of the, the quadrupeds. It's missing its title page, but this was published in 1797. Second edition, I think, 1804 or thereabouts. Wood engravings, then, why were they becoming popular in books? Like, well, just behind you on the table there, there's some boxwood blocks. Okay. That the wood engravings would have been done on. Right. And they were cut to the same height as type, the metal type, which meant they could be printed together at the same time on the same presses as the letter press. So, so they could be they could be adjusted to being the same same height as the they type. They were cut to point nine one eight of an inch to type height. As and opposed to the other mediums which what would be well the other prior to that the other medium was, of course it was copper plate right uh, steel engravings or etchings which had to be printed on a completely different press so this was revolutionizing book illustration and they had to be printed on a completely different press because the steel engravings yeah yes because it's a totally different printing method of printing it's in taglio rather than relief printing. What would you say this is akin to, the, this, this kind of revolutionary... Photography. The digital world, desktop-type um, publishing. And it is exactly the same in some ways because you could print illustrations with a book far more economically than you could before. And these little humble blocks of wood were far more durable. And Thomas Buick was called upon when it was found he had a propensity for doing this to do more and more and more 
And eventually, when he finished his apprenticeship, he set up his own workshop. And they did a huge number of engravings for the newspapers, the newspaper advertisements and, and book illustrations. And Björk was asked the question once, how many times do you think this block's been printed from? And so he asked his printer, and he did the figures, and 900,000 impressions have been taken from one of these little blocks of wood. Now, there must be a special kind of wood to be that Tradition- durable. Traditionally, it's boxwood, and it's cut across the grain like you would slice a cucumber as opposed to the plank grain, which is what you would use if you were to do a woodcut. And so it's, it's very fine. Box? Boxwood. What kind of wood is that? Is that like, it's I think a, of birch? Is it, is it connected it's to... Like a, it's like a, uh, a shrubby, shrubbery tree. Maple is also very, very hard and durable, and contemporary engravers do use maple. It's a slow-growing tree, so it's very close-grained. Pear is another word, lemon wood. Fruit trees can be used as well. So dense and... Very uh, close grain. There's no... Mm-hmm. You can't see the... It's almost like a m- slab of marble. The Latin... Buxus semperivens, I think, is the Latin name for it. And so that really is the best wood then. Yeah. And of course, what you have there behind you is the typical log. That diameter is... That's quite a large one. But if you imagine that as a, in a complete round, it's not very big. No, it's maybe five inches across. And if you look at most of Buick's engravings, apart from the, the fact that they're designed to fit this three or four inch measure, whatever that is, the blocks are just the right size. Yeah, the, the actual tree itself is yes. taken into account hmm. with it's, the work. It's, it's perfectly suited for this, this kind of work. Of course, as time goes on... And remember, Buick was pioneering. He was a pioneer at the stage in that he was the first person really to do such engravings that looked like this, that looked real. I mean, some of the, some of the animals are, are a little unusual. And he hadn't seen them, of course, and he would rely upon travelling. It's the camellia part, you see. It's a cross between a, a giraffe and a, a leopard. It's called the camelopard, camellia part. Or a camel, too, right? They're they're exquisite, though, aren't they? But you look as well that not only was he engraving the figures of the animals, but the backgrounds are little rural scenes, little vignettes drawn Mm. from the landscape in which he lived. So he would put all these exotic animals in familiar terrain. And if if we look at some of the more domestic animals, you find little scenes from Northumberland, which in many cases I think would reflect the cottage, actual Buick's own birthplace and so on, and buildings and the fields around him. And you can actually visit this place. Is the cottage still there? You can visit this birthplace now, and the National Trust have it. That's a good place for your literary tourists to go. This book came out, did he simply illustrate it and someone else wrote it? No, he wrote it as well. History of Quadrupeds was first, and then he went on to do two volumes of British birds. And w- this was a big success right off Huge the bat? Huge success, yeah. I mean, the number of editions it went through. So this made, yeah, made he, him? he became famous. Audubon went to see him. He's up there. He was one of the... And it just, just sort of came, came to him. It was a love of his, and it connected with his talent. Did he self-publish? Yes, he did. He was publishing in Newcastle with the booksellers... Okay, so would they get together and finance the printing then? What are we looking at here? This is, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but when I went to art school, I learned about wood engraving. I didn't know who Thomas Burek was, strangely enough, having come from the northeast. But I found out very quickly that I came from the same county as Thomas Burek. In fact, my very first wood engraving was a rather awful copy of uh, 
a wood engraving by Thomas Buick, a, a fox. When I finished my uh, art school, my art college time, I went back to Newcastle and to cut a long story short, discovered in the central library, the public library in Newcastle, was a collection of Buick's original wood blocks. And my interest was such that it coincided with a, a bicentenary, or, or a quinquencentenary, 150 years since Buick's death in 1828. In 1978, yeah. I published a collection of his wood blocks and printed from his original blocks. That's pretty neat. And these blocks are still, still crisp there. and... And they still remember they can be printed from to over and above 900,000 times if they're printed carefully. And they call the... Wow. The printing of them is another story altogether. You have to remember when these first books of his were printed, they were printed on wooden common presses, on dampened paper, and there were ink dabbers. They didn't have ink rollers in those days. It wasn't an iron press then, it was no, a wooden press. No, this is pre-iron presses. And Buick was rather disgruntled with the, the way that some of the impressions came out. And if you look at them, they're, they're not consistent and they're not the best they can be. And so it was my aim to print uh, least impressions that Buick would be happy with. And printing them individually, or maybe two at a time, carefully. And although I printed mine on an iron hand press, recreating the dampened paper and the soft blanket that was necessary, because he found that the, f- the fine lines in his engravings weren't holding the ink because the dampened paper had a soft blanket behind it, and it was pushing the ink off the lines. So what does he do? He lowers the surface of the wood blocks and then engraves it so it receives less pressure. And then he discovers that he's actually controlling the tone of these things. And if you grade that lowering, you can get an engraving to print from dark to light. From left to right. Left to right or whatever. whatever. Especially with the engravings of the birds, which were later than came after the, the animals, the quadrupeds that he did. When he's in his full, in his prime, he's so using this to great effect. You see the, the tonality going across the, the breast of the bird, and you can see the impression there where he's lowered it yeah. on, the, on the reverse of the... Right. That's the block itself wasn't flat. It's like a, a sculpture. So you, you were yeah. using... It's not new technology, but better technology than he had access to. I had, more, I had the privilege of more time. I wasn't concerned with printing... In addition of a book, I wasn't just a, a printer. I was a I was an artist, if you like. He didn't have access to what you had access to, obviously. Well, eventually he did because iron hand presses came in, and then mach- iron cylinder presses came in. So the later engravings that he did aren't uh, sculpted in the same way. Cause, yeah, because they didn't have to be. No, and the the presses they were printed on were, were again they were different. And so, uh, what else did he spend his time doing? Was it, well, these, these were sort of his magnum opuses. Well, to the contrary, the, these engravings of birds and animals were the work he did after the work of the, the day in the shop was done, after the day's work was done. So, for the most part, a lot of them would have been done by candlelight, would you believe? So, he would, was he working for someone else, or did he have his own company? He was publishing them himself. But, but the, the day work... You it see. was his business. Then. It was his, the Bilby work. Buick Bilby went into partnership with his former master and then set up on his own. And he had apprentices, which was the other interesting thing. So he was teaching people Luke Clennell, who also did, and his younger brother John, and many other people who went on to become engravers, moved to London and continued to, to do what he was doing. But it was 
it was not the business of the workshop to do these things. What they were doing in the workshop were engraving things like dog collars and <laughs> silver bowls and, and coffin labels and coal certificates, uh, share certificates. And they're also doing bookbinders tools as well. Whole, everything you can imagine that needed engraving, they did. And it's mostly metal engraving. So just a, like his a, own passion, yeah, kind of his, his own, own hobby. hobby. It was a hobby in some respect because it became more than a hobby as it grew. Right. And he became well known and he had a great many friends and people would send him specimens. I found a lot of information relating to how he had compiled the books, where the stuffed birds that were sometimes sent to him or the live birds sometimes stinking, he records in his workshop account notebooks there. And how there would be the list of uh, expenditure in the account books would be bird seed. So he's obviously keeping these birds alive right. at the same time. I think that's one of the concerns that's raised about Audubon, the number of birds that he killed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's like live models. That's right. Recently live, anyway. And there's certain, I mean, some of them, are, he writes about one arriving where it's as stiff as a poker. The, the specimen is so awful, it's dreadful. And that, some of the specimens still exist to this day that he, that he used... How do they do? Like they stuff them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Taxidermy was a big thing. Yeah. And of course, they were uh, very popular. Just if you could speak to the fact that he came from, or you came from the same place Mm. that he came from, you're doing similar things to, to, to what he did. How does that manifest itself inside of you? God knows. (laughs) 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 I'm thinking, trying to give you an eloquent. No, I mean, answer to this, but the uh, the fact that okay, he's from my, he's from the same clan, the same tribe, if you like. Right. I, I, people from the Tyne side, the River Tyne runs through it. Newcastle on Tyne. Newcastle yeah. on Tyne. Buick grew up on the banks of the Tyne. He would he would go across the Tyne on his way to school. He would swim in the icy waters. He would run around on the banks of the Tyne. I was born on Tyneside. I'm a Geordie, is what they call the people from Tyneside. We're from the same part of the country, although I was born near the coast and he was born in west of the town. I think, and I've said this before, that in Buick's case, he had, he had a, an artistic sensitivity to the landscape around him, and he had an eye for detail and an ability to draw in the way that John Constable did growing up in, in Suffolk, and in what's now known as Constable Country, like any artist with a sensibility to his surroundings and a sense of place, cannot help but be inspired uh, by nature, if you like, that's all around you. And also, I guess, the, the fact that your people have been surrounded by that nature for hundreds of years. I mean, if you, if you live in looking at the landscape of Grasmere there, you cannot, and you're an artist, you cannot help but be inspired to, to, uh, to paint them and to draw these places. So I feel kindred spirit. And of course he was a wood engraver and I learned wood engraving. I know what he's up to and I've copied Buick's engravings. And believe me, let me tell you, there's not one wasted mark. And we're talking about tiny marks, tiny, minuscule marks. He was not only a superb craftsman, but an artist. And his watercolours too are wonderful. The Buick scholar is Ian Bain, who has written a lot about Buick and has a huge collection of Buick material correspondence and, and everything 
you can imagine him. I've known him a long time, and he was a little sceptical, I think, of this young young man who I was, because I was in my, was I in my 20s even when I was doing my first Bruce? What did I know about Bruce? Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> 1978, 53, 25, yeah. 25-year-old, yeah. these wonderful, precious blocks. Uh, but no, he, had, he could see, I think, that my heart was in the right place, and we become good friends. I've always said there's no one definitive way to print Buick. There's many different ways to print them and many different approaches, but I want to be respectful to what he'd, the work he'd done. Ian Bain published a book about Thomas Buick's uh, watercolours, which I was asked to bind, curiously, in the two volumes for a presentation to the Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, when he came to open a, a sewage works in Northumberland. Anyway, I inquired of the palace to find out what colour leather that they should be using for these, these two volumes of Björk's watercolours. And the word came back, there was a colour which could only be described politely as nut brown. Now we know Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, is a sense of humour. <laughs> what, what of this was his working on? I have no idea. But I duly bound those volumes, and the grain of one of the, one of the volumes was the Grain of the paper is the wrong way, and grain is very, very important. Grain direction when you're making a book. If you get it the wrong way, the book doesn't open properly, and all the leaves stand up. And I remember Ian Bain saying to me, who designed these books? He said, ah, he said the, the paper was specially made for the book. He said, ah, the probably got, paper maker probably got some of his porridge mixed up in the pulp. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, was a nice, a nice image. Uh, if you wanted to, not, not necessarily become an expert, but if you wanted to, to connect with Buick, mm-hmm. you could actually go there, as you say, as a, as a literary tourist. Now, where precisely do you go? You would go to a place called Cherryburn, which is on the south bank of the town, about 15 miles west of Newcastle. And it's, there is, are the two cottages that Buick was brought up in, lived in, and it's now owned by the National Trust, Okay. Uh, who preserves and a lot of these historical buildings and it's open to the public and they've recreated the farmyard there that uh, features in so many of his little engravings and it's a charming place and across the river is the town of Ovingham where he went to school and you can see that's where he's buried there too and you can see the, the slate a floor where Buick supposedly drew and did sketches and I would say if you want to know about Buick read his, read his autobiography this memoir, it has a lot of, a lot of uh, colour in it. Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing the technical as well as the well, emotional connections that you have with Buick and invite listeners to get on over there. Go and see it. It's, it's a very popular place. and there, There's a Buick Society now that you can join that keeps you up to date on, on current events and, and so on. Great. Thanks very much. You're welcome.